Hello, my name is Chrissy Champagne. You are listening to Residue, a true crime podcast dedicated to keeping you paranoid. For today's episode, I wanted to start off by giving you a trigger warning right off the bat. This episode is going to involve childhood sexual abuse. So if that's not something you want to listen to, I would just wait till next week's episode. I used the book Why Gary Why by Jody Plachet as my main source, and even that book was very hard to get through at certain chapters. This episode is about the 1984 kidnapping of Jody Plachet and the revenge that his father, Gary Plachet, had on his kidnapper and karate teacher, Jeff Doucette. You cannot let a moment define you. Victimization does not define your life. You can surpass the victim mentality. This was a statement made by Jody Plachet. Jody was an 11-year-old boy who was on the cover of every magazine in 1984. The world had come to know him as just the kid who was kidnapped and sexually assaulted. He has stated that his entire life was on display. He was not the same person when he returned from California. Jody says, I grew up afraid of three things, rats, snakes, and kidnappers, because that's what my mom was afraid of. She instilled these fears into Jody, and we all unknowingly do that to our children. But Jody said that he was afraid of the kind of kidnapper that gets you in the mall or the kind of kidnapper that pulls up on your street in a white van and kidnaps you. He didn't think that a kidnapper could be his karate teacher. Jody Plachet was born on April 27, 1972, to parents Gary and June. He also grew up with three siblings, two brothers and a sister. In 1983, when Jody was around 10, his parents enrolled him and his brothers and some other children from the neighborhood in a karate class run by a man named Jeff Doucette. Jody was already involved in other sports in school, baseball, basketball, football. He says that the parents in the neighborhood were like, let's all sign our kids up for this karate class. So they go to their first three classes and the karate teacher actually quits and ends up stealing the money from all the parents. Next, a man named Jeff Doucette steps up and says that he'll teach the class. Jeff gained the trust of all of the parents. Jeff Doucette was born February 3rd, 1959. His father died when he was a teenager. At age 17, Jeff was picked up for molesting a child but it was erased from his record because his mother had a close relationship with somebody in the police department. Completely unaware of his past, 
these parents start trusting Jeff, and he actually ends up spending a lot of time at Jody's house. He is very close with his parents, Gary and June, and Jody's parents even start letting Jeff take Jody on overnight trips. So the karate team would actually go on overnight trips away to hotels, but he, they would also allow him to take him to amusement parks. They would allow Jeff to come over and just hang out with Jody. So basically these parents really trusted him. And just like Jody said, if my parents trust him, then why shouldn't I? And I am not victim blaming the parents in this situation. I'm trying to establish the fact that, according to everyone, Jeff was a great con man, and Jody had even been quoted as saying, if he had been honest and not attracted to kids, he could have been a very successful man. Jody says in his book, Why Gary Why? Part of the reason for my parents wanting Jeff dead was the violation of trust he had demonstrated through grooming my entire family, not just me. My parents had trusted this man with not just me, but my brothers and other young boys. They had welcomed this man into their home. They had fed him and they had let him stay over. Sometime early in 1984, Jeff starts telling Jody that he's going to run away to California. He had been in a lot of debt. Jeff was in trouble for forging checks and he did owe a lot of people money. He kept coming to Jody and telling him at 11 years old, I'm leaving for California and I'm taking you with me. Jody states that he knew this was going to happen at some point. He just didn't know when. It is February 19th, 1984 at 9 a.m. in the morning and Jeff shows up at Jody's house. He tells June, Jody's mother, that he needs to borrow her car because he needs to go see his brother. They're having a little issue with a job they're working on. So he asks if Jody can come with him. And that's when Jody realizes, okay, it's really happening now. Hours go by and June is losing her mind. She calls Jeff's mom and she tells her, I'm going to call the cops if Jeff does not return my son immediately. It is at this point that Jeff and Jody are already on a bus to California. Jody says that on this bus trip, Jeff was charming all of the women on the bus. He told everyone that Jody was his son and they were headed to California. So they arrive in California around 2 a.m., they stay at a Hilton for the night, and then the next day, Jeff goes out looking for a job because he intends on staying here with Jody, but could not find a job, no luck there. So the next day, they go to Disneyland, and Jody says that while they were at Disneyland, he felt safe. That same night, they get a new hotel room, and they end up being in room 38. And it is at this hotel that Jeff dyes Jody's hair black. He also shaves off his own mustache. And Jody says that he was given a lot of freedom while they were in this hotel. They were there about a week, so a week has gone by, and Jody says that this is when Jeff finally lets him call his mother. And June is just frantic at this point after receiving this call so she actually calls Jeff's sister and this is when she learns about all of the stories about Jeff molesting children 
June ends up calling Mike Barnett, who was a major with the Baton Rouge Police Department. But he was also a very close family friend of the Plouchers, and he was also a former high school ex-boyfriend of June. So it is with the help of Mike Barnett that they're finally able to figure out where Jeff and Jody are. They end up tapping the phone and calling Jeff so that June can talk to Jody. And while they're on the phone, they ask Jeff what time it is. And he says, five o'clock. And I believe that he was telling the police that they were in New York. So Jody was the one that was actually like, Jeff, it would be five o'clock in LA, but not five o'clock in New York. It would be eight o'clock in New York. So this is when the police are already like, okay, he's not in New York. Jeff makes the second mistake of telling June on the phone that they got to watch the TV show Hill Street Blues being taped that day. And this is when one of June's friends kicks into action and she finds out where Hill Street Blues is taped. It is either Chicago or LA. So they are getting on the right track here. Love the energy from these two women. And also the next day, I believe it was the next day, June gets to talk to Jody again. And what she does is she calls back, she calls collect, and then she asks the operator, after the call is over, she's like, can you please send me a receipt for how much this call cost, how long the call was, and what room number this call came from? It does not take long for the police to bust down the door of room 38. They find Jody and they take him to the police station for interrogation. Jody says that the police took him out of the room pretty quickly and he could actually hear one of the police officers threatening Jeff and saying he was going to punch him in his fucking mouth. Jody says that the police took him down to the police station and they ended up interrogating him for two hours. They wanted Jody to tell them what they wanted to hear. And Jody says, I told the truth except for that one lie. Because it's still at this point that Jody is not admitting to anybody what Jeff has been doing to him. When Jody was first rescued by the police, he was taken to the hospital and he was examined. So the police were aware that Jody was molested. When the police called June and revealed the results of the examination that was given to Jody, June went outside and called Jody in, and she asked him to sit down with her and just have a talk with her. And Jody says that the way his mother reacted gave him a sense of peace within himself. He said, regardless of her own emotions, regardless of what he was telling her that Jeff had done to him, she remained calm and she gave Jody an understanding of the fact that life still goes on. Jody was quoted as saying, a parent's reaction either creates peace and space to recover with less difficulty, or it can create shame and pain, making the recovery from trauma harder. June Plache gave Jody the power to be able to accept what happened to him and know that he's gonna be able to move on from this. Now, this doesn't mean that June was not raging on the inside. 
Jody asked his mother to please not tell his dad, Gary, about any of this. Please keep it a secret. Police officer Mike Barnett was well aware of the fact that emotions were just raging and that Gary had even stated, I'm going to kill Jeff. On Thursday, March 15, 1984, Jeff was scheduled to be flying back into Baton Rouge on flight 595. Mike Barnett told June not to tell Gary. So, 9.30 p.m. on that Friday evening, Jeff would be arriving back home to Baton Rouge. They were all a little worried because their gun was missing from their home, and so was Gary. Jeff was picked up around noon on that Friday. He boarded flight 595 for the final destination, Baton Rouge. Once he was on the plane, the police officers say that Jeff just began confessing everything. He became overly emotional and the officers had to give him time to regain his composure. He talked about how he had relationships with other boys. He lied and lied. He told the cops that the reason he didn't stop was because Jody loved it and Jody insisted that it never ends. I can't even say that whole statement without feeling sick to my stomach. None of that was true, obviously. Jeff tells the officers that he wanted to sit alone with the parents of the kids he had molested and advise them to get the kids psychiatric help. This motherfucker. As Jeff is confessing on his plane ride home, Gary Plouchet has been sitting at a bar called The Cotton Club all day. Gary is just an emotional mess. At one point, he's sitting next to a guy named Bob Shadell, and Bob was the program director for a TV channel called WBRZ. This was Channel 2, and it was a local ABC affiliate. So Bob asks Gary... Do you know when they're bringing Jeff back? And Gary said, no, I don't. I think he's already back. It's at this point that Bob calls his people. He comes back to Gary and he says, he's not back. He's scheduled to arrive at exactly 9.08 tonight. Gary calls his ex-wife, June, and he insists that she give him details about what Jeff did to Jody. She said she would, and she ends up telling Gary all of the specifics about what happened to Jody. Gary could not handle it. Since it was Gary's weekend with the children, he was supposed to be picking them up after school on this Friday. So instead, he calls his parents and he tells them, you need to pick the kids up from school today. Gary's parents do end up picking the children up, and Jody recalls being really pissed off that his dad didn't pick them up, but they ended up going to their grandparents' camp after school. They had a great day, Jody says, and at night, Jody went to bed without watching the news. As the children are enjoying their time with their grandparents, Gary is still sitting at the bar wondering what to do. He has been drinking all day. He phones his friend Jim Adams from a payphone. He tells Jim, I can't take it anymore. I'm going to shoot Jeff. Jim tries to talk Gary down, but it was too late. Jim calls the police department and he begs them to get in touch with Mike Barnett. 
As all of this is going on, June is visiting with her sister. So they're just having a night together, hanging out. And as June returns home from her sister's house, she turns on her TV. And the first thing she hears is the voice of a newscaster saying, unknown assailant guns down alleged kidnapper at the Baton Rouge airport. Details at 10. June's screams can be heard through the entire neighborhood. Neighbors rush to her house to help her. Earlier that night, Gary arrived at the Baton Rouge airport. He walked right in. He got on a payphone. It was a row of 12 payphones. To enter or exit this airport, you would have to go directly past this row of payphones. He chose a phone directly in front of a cameraman because he knew that it meant Jeff would be escorted directly past this camera for the news. Gary wore a white Riverland equipment hat and dark sunglasses. He had on a pair of jeans, a purple and white horizontal shirt, cowboy boots, and a 38 caliber snubbed nose revolver. Gary wasn't just standing at that phone pretending. He was actually still on the phone with his friend Jim. And he was telling Jim, I'm going to shoot Jeff. Now, the police officers are escorting Jeff out. And they do actually tell him, keep an eye out for any of the parents or anyone else that you think might want to hurt you. And then Jeff stated, well, I should also keep an eye out for my brother because my brother might try and kill me. The officers tell him, if you do see anybody, we want you to immediately fall to the ground and we will jump on top of you to protect you because they were definitely afraid that something bad was going to go down tonight. Gary is still on the phone with his friend Jim and he says to Jim, the news media are here. I think they took Jeff out a different way. And then the camera lights come on full blast. Gary's back was turned to the camera, but he knew that once he felt the light shine on him, that Jeff was coming near. He said to his friend, I'm pulling the gun out of my boot. You're going to hear my shot. And then the phone went silent. The force from the bullet broke Jeff's neck, and Jeff fell into a fetal position on the floor. Cameras caught every second of this incident. You can see an officer kneel down next to Jeff. He closes Jeff's eyes. Another officer grabbed Gary and yelled, Why in the fuck would you do that? Gary responded, If he would have done that to your family, you would have done the same thing too. You don't know. You don't know what he did to Jody. Any father would have done that. I had to do it. Abram McGall was the name of the cameraman who got this all on film. He even had the foresight to quickly trade out the tape that was used to videotape all of this and put a blank tape inside of the camera just in case police asked for that footage. He knew that he had just recorded an extraordinary piece of footage. And this video, you can find it on YouTube. You can find it all over the internet, but millions and millions of views on this video. 
An interesting piece of information about the cameraman and the video was that Jody actually later in life ended up finding this cameraman through Facebook because Jody states that the video seemed to be popping up on his Facebook almost every other day. So Jody reaches out to the cameraman years and years later and the cameraman says to Jody in a Facebook message, he says, it was a chaotic night, but many understood what your father did that night. The title of your book emphasizes what was on every parent's heart once they knew the whole story. I will never forget your father's compassionate and loving answer to that question. At that moment, there was a raw understanding of a wrong being right. Bail was set at $100,000 for Gary Plachet. The bail was posted immediately that following Monday morning, and he was released. Jody stated to a reporter, My dad was absolutely too extreme. He used to tell people, If anybody ever touches my kid, I'll kill him. And I knew he wasn't kidding. That's why I couldn't tell anybody. And that's exactly what he ended up doing. It's not right to take someone's life, Jody says. But when someone's that bad a person... It doesn't bother you much in the long run. Jody's mother, June, says, Are you kidding? Do you know how many kids weren't molested because he is no longer on this earth? Gary Plachet pleaded no contest to manslaughter. On November 1985, Judge Frank Saya sentenced Gary to seven years hard time. Jeff Doucette's family exploded in cheers at this trial. But then, Judge Saya turns around and says, he suspended the sentence to five years of probation and 300 hours of community service. Gary Plouchet would serve no jail time. Dr. Edward P. Uzi, who examined Gary, concluded that Gary did not know the difference between right and wrong when he shot Jeff Doucet. He said that Gary had developed a sense of righteous mission directed by what Gary sensed as the voice of Jesus, telling him that if he did not kill his son's sexual molester, that the man would continue to harm his son and many other children. Judge Saya agreed that locking Gary Pluchet in jail would not help anything. He was not a threat to society. Jody has said, I do not hate Jeff for what he did to me. I have come to understand that he was sick and he needed help. He has also stated, I never wanted Jeff dead. I just wanted him to stop touching me. Gary Plachet suffered a stroke in 2011. On October 20th, 2014, Gary died at a nursing home of another stroke, three weeks before his 69th birthday. On June 18th, 2023, Jody Plachet posted to his ex page, Happy Father's Day to all those fathers that support and take care of their children. My father, Gary Plachet, sure did. He also posted on his ex page, I just wanted people to see the kind, sweet man my father was. He is known as a vigilante, but he was a very loving person. It makes me happy when the people who knew my father confirm my feelings. 
Jody worked at Victim Services Center of Montgomery County, a comprehensive crime victim center in Norristown, PA. Jody provided crisis intervention to sexual assault victims on the agency's 24-hour crisis hotline, as well as in-person support at hospitals and police stations. He facilitated sexual violence risk reduction programs to students ranging from pre-K through college age. In October of 2022, Jody attended the White House Conference on Missing, Exploited, and Runaway Children in Washington, D.C. You can find Jody's book, Why Gary Why, on Amazon and Audible. A quote from Jody that I believe has the greatest impact on me researching this case was this We all navigate different trails that we did not choose and cannot control, but we can choose how we respond to them. If you or someone you know has been sexually assaulted, help is available. You can call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Residue. We will see you again next week for another episode. I just want to remind you all to stay safe and stay paranoid.